morning again. So, um, you guys want to hear a story? Yeah. It's probably not going to be about Eddie's shoes. I think I learned my lesson there. So, <laughs> all right. So, um, this story is found in, in uh, Luke chapter 24. As a matter of fact, um, if you've got a Bible, you can turn over there. If you don't, we have uh, some ushers that are coming down the aisles right now. We'd love to give you a Bible. Consider it our gift to you. And, um, you know, if you need an extra one, take to work, leave in your cube or leave in your car or take to school with you, by all means, we want you to have this. We believe uh, God's word is so powerful and, and all the words written in that are, are, are so applicable to our lives. There's, there's comfort, encouragement, correction, instruction, wisdom galore found in the pages of this book, and we encourage you to, to read it. But um, the story that I'm referring to is, is uh, in the New Testament, the book of Luke, uh, in chapter 24. And um, to just kind of recap a little bit about what's been going on here, Jesus has just been publicly tortured and executed, and um, he was taken down from a Roman cross, and he was placed in a tomb. And three days later, after this all happened, this very public thing, these weird rumors started circulating that Jesus had come back to life. And this group of women who knew Jesus very well and they were some of his closest friends and followers. They had been telling everyone who listened about this weird experience they had. They, they went out to the tomb where Jesus' body was placed. And they had taken some spices and things to better prepare the body for, for burial. And when they got there, they found that the tomb was open. Not only was it open, but the body was missing. And then they said while they were there, these two mysterious guys show up. And they're wearing these clothes that look like they've been made out of lightning. And, and these two guys started telling them, reminding them about all the things that Jesus said about his own death. And most importantly, they reminded them how he said that he would rise from the dead. And, of course, no one believed him. You know, I mean, would you? They sounded like a bunch of crackpots, you know. And, and then the story gets even better. Later that same day, two of Jesus' followers were traveling to this little, um, little town outside of Jerusalem called Emmaus. Now, it was about seven miles outside of Jerusalem, and these guys were, were walking, and so they because they were traveling on foot, they had plenty of time to talk. And so let's pick up uh, with the story in chapter 14 of Luke 24. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Well, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the past few days. What things, Jesus asked? Well, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. Our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining, him, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now this is wild. Uh, Jesus himself shows up, and they don't recognize him. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, you know, first of all, uh, they'd spent the better part of three years with him. And, and, and second of all, why didn't Jesus just tell him who he was? You know, hey, guys. I'm back. It's over. You know, we won. It, it's me. It, it's me, Jesus. But more and more, I'm beginning to understand that it was more important for Jesus to wait until they said, wait a minute. It's you. 
I know you. It's you, Jesus. I think what Jesus was trying to do that day was what um, we parents do when we're trying to get our toddlers to take their first steps, you know? You've got uh, your little one kind of clinging to mom's leg, and your dad's over there going, come on, come here, come on, you can do it. Let go of mommy's leg and, 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 and walk over here, come on. You're reaching out there, and it's so tempting, isn't it, to reach across that space between you and to grab them and pull them close because, you know, you don't want them to fall and, and bang their head or skin their knees, and, and you know it's scary and you know it's hard. But that wouldn't be walking, would it? That would be pulling. And so I think that Jesus right here is, is leaning over as far as he could and still allowing his followers to come to him in faith, allowing them to take those scary steps and to cross that space between unbelief and belief. And he reminded them of all the prophets said, you know, there were hint after hint and clue after clue, and still they didn't recognize him. A little bit later in Luke 24, down in verse 28, he says, by this time they were nearing Emmaus at the end, the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, hey, stay the night with us since it's getting late. And so he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. Now it was getting late as they neared Emmaus. They were going home. Jesus was moving on. Almost on impulse, one of these guys invites Jesus to his home for dinner and to stay overnight. Well, it was one of those chaotic evenings now when dad just brings home an unexpected guest and, and the family is on high alert. You know, they're scrambling around like crazy people. Mom's trying to straighten out the guest room and, and, and trying to, to put something on the table for dinner. And the whole time she's apologizing that the house is such a mess, apologizing that there isn't something more exciting for dinner, whispering death threats under her breath to her husband for doing this to her. Um, and all the kids have been threatened, I mean, encouraged to be on their best behavior. And they asked Jesus to pray for the food. You know, they're still not really sure who he is, but he's got to be someone religious because he knows all that scripture. And so he said, will you pray for the food? Jesus takes the bread, he says a prayer, and he passes it down the table, and then it happens. There's a moment of clarity. All of a sudden, they know who Jesus is. They, they recognize him, and they believe, and life is never the same from that point on. Isn't that what we're all seeking, you know? A moment of clarity. So you and I, we can relate to the disciples. We, we feel defeated. We get confused. And sometimes it's doubtful to us that Jesus is even real. And one day, you know, shazam, uh, something happens. We, we hear something. We experience something. And it becomes clear to us in that moment. All of a sudden, you know, the fog lifts and the clouds part. And we can see clearly. And we find ourselves willing to take a chance, to take a step of faith and to trust Jesus with our lives. These storyteller Sundays are, are so powerful because when people are willing to share their story, many, many times you and I find ourselves relating with their story. We see it paralleled in our own story. And sometimes we experience this moment of clarity on our own. It's just an experience we have in our own head and in our own lives. But sometimes clarity comes from hearing how God has been at work in someone else's lives. This morning we're going to hear from two different people about, about their own moments of clarity and about how they've seen God at work in their lives. And Dennis Evans, you recognize him playing guitar. He's got much better hair than I have. And uh, Dennis is going to share with us a little bit. 
And then Vince Giordano, and, and, and Vince has, has served here at Six Forks and now is, is uh, one of our, our uh, serving team leads at, at, at Wakefield and has been a, a volunteer in our student ministry. And, and you're going to see how God's been at work in their lives and how Jesus has become very real to them. And so I encourage you as, you, as you listen to their stories this morning, don't just listen with your ears. Listen with your heart and see how God gives you a moment of clarity. to the waters edge all you know and fear the Lord come and listen come to waters edge all you who are thirsty come let me tell you what he has done for me let me tell you what he has done for me he has done for you he has done for us good morning i'm dennis um it's good to see you guys here today um, before I start, I want to um, I want to say two things. Um, I ask that y'all pray for me, um, that I can get this done in ten minutes, because that's why Darren put me here so I could see the clock. Um, and, and the second thing is, um, this is not my story. Um, please understand, this is God's story. This is this is a chapter in His story, not mine. Um, I'm going to try and cut this as short as I can. Um, last last uh, service, I went over a little bit. And I want you to hear Vince's story. Um, there, <laughs> there's two things you need to know um, about my childhood. Um, uh, well, three. It was, it was perfect. Um, it, was, it was a perfect childhood. Um, I was a very scared little boy, though. Um, I spent a lot of time um, isolating and running away. And the third thing um, was that when I was four years old, one of my earliest recollections was when I was four years old, I saw the Beatles on television, and that just ruined it, because um, I saw those girls um, screaming and fainting, and I said, Mommy, I want to do that. <laughs> and um, does this look like the Beatles? A little. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, at, a, at an early age, I learned to isolate, and music helped me do that. And um, you know, as a teenager, I, w I had all the normal sort of um, teenage feelings of in inadequacy. I was short, I was heavy set, um, I wasn't real smart. I was one of those kids that the guidance counselor said, he's got a lot of potential that he's not living up to it. You know? So um, if you're one of those kids, um, you could probably relate to this. Um, maybe not. At 16, this, is a, this was a deciding moment in my life. At 16, I took my first drink, and um, all those feelings changed. Suddenly, I was smart, I was handsome, I was still short. Um, I could talk to girls. I could be a part of instead of a, instead of a part from. Um, and uh, that feeling lasted for 20 plus years. Um, I'm going to fast forward um, 24 years. I, uh, well, one other thing I want to say about that day, 
Um, the first day I took a drink is the, was the first day I started to run away from God. Um, so 24 years later, I woke up, came to one day, and um, I realized I could not stop drinking. Um, I drank every day, and I drank to get drunk because I did not like the way that I felt, and I wanted to change that. Um, there was a hole that you could so big in me that you could see through it. Um, I could not look you in the eye. If I saw you coming down the street, I would probably cross the street to avoid you. Um, so I drank to, uh, to not feel what I was feeling, and I drank to feel because I was just empty inside, literally empty. And, um, you know, I'd alienated my family. Um, I was married at the time, and I was alienating my wife. Um, and I was destroying myself. Um, I had lost... I hadn't lost any of my earthly possessions, really. I still had a house. I still had a car. I still had a job. Um, but I had no self. I had no soul. Um, and I had absolutely no connection with God. Um, I, I just had turned my back on him completely. Again, I fast forward. Um, April 15, 1999, I was out um, partying with some friends, and I, um, I blacked out. And this was not the first time I blacked out. The first time I blacked out was when I was 16. And I want to say right now that um, if, you, if you drink and you ever have a blackout, that's not normal. Um, and I, um, I would encourage you to, to look at that. Um, uh, I thought it was normal because all the people I was hanging out with, that's what they did. Um, but that night I blacked out and um, I drove home. I had to actually check the, um, the crime blotter the next day in, in the local paper to make sure that I had not hit anybody in my car. Um, I do recall right before I blacked out that I hit uh, a mailbox of a person I knew. Um, and I went back to his house the next day to see if I'd actually knocked it down. And he was standing in front of his house getting his mail. Um, and this is um, one of those deals where I don't, now today, I don't believe there are any coincidences in my life. Um, things happen for a reason. Um, and, and there he was standing there waiting to get his mail. And I pulled up and I probably looked pretty bad at the time. And... Uh, he, he asked me um, if I was all right, and for the first time in 24 years, I got honest, and I don't know why. I mean, I do now, but at the time, I did not know why, and I said, no, I'm not all right, and he asked me to come inside, and um, he proceeded to tell me that, um, and I told him what had happened, and he proceeded to tell me that um, he'd been sober for 13 years. He was a a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, he told me about my, my illness. He told me about alcoholism and what it does to our bodies and our minds and what it does to our families. And, um, and I th always thought I was sort of weak-willed, and, and he explained to me that um, I'm not weak-willed. If you ever want to meet a strong-willed person, meet an alcoholic. Um, I, I just have an allergy. Um, my body has an allergy. When I put alcohol in it, my body says, give me more. And, and that's not a good thing. And my mind will tell me, you want more. Um, so I went to my first AA meeting the following day. And, um, and in that, um, you know, that, that was my first real experience with God being in my face. You know, because, again, this was no coincidence. You know, that, that man was standing there waiting for me. I firmly believe that. And um, of all the people in the world whose mailbox I could have hit, you know, why would it be a person who was 13 years sober? So um, I attended meetings for four months, 
And after that, I stopped attending meetings. And, um, but I didn't drink for two years. And I was crazy, absolutely crazy. I was still doing things that were taking me away from myself, um, from the world, from my feelings, from my wife. Um, and I came home one day, and she was packed, and she was ready to go. And, um, you know, it, I had spiritually, morally, and physically abandoned her, and she was tired of it. She was sick and tired of it, and I don't blame her one bit. Um, it was at that, that day that I, I went back to AA, and I, I sought help. And um, I began to move back towards God. That was the first time I began moving back towards God, and, and I understood um, I learned, let me say, that, um, that God wants me to be happy, joyous, and free. Um, it took me a long time to um, experience that. Um, so I started to um, hang out with these guys, and, and I, they invited me to go to these spiritual retreats that they had up in the mountains. And I, I went up there, and, and I started listening to these men talk about their experience with God. And um, I started to see that here were these, these sober men that were, that were humbling themselves and, and, and humble Humble as humility as in um, they were um, seeking to know and do God's will. And that was really foreign to me. Um, but I started to emulate them, and I started to sing at those retreats. And I, you know, I was sing- here I was up there singing in the garden and, and, and Amazing Grace, and I hadn't, I hadn't sung one of those songs for over 20 years. Um, and I, knew, I came back, and I knew someone at LifePoint at the time, and he turned me on to some of the music that, that, that the band was doing here, and I started to listen to those songs. And... And they just started to creep into me and get into my heart. And, um, you know, I'm going to really fast forward again. Um, Christmas 2005, um, I'm sitting there watching a video with my son called The Very First Noel. And it's a cartoon about the birth of Jesus. And I just sat there. I'm trying not to, to cry in front of this three-year-old. And I'm, I'm just weeping because... It, it occurred to me, I really, I so badly wanted to believe that, you know, God gave us his only son and that that, and that son, Jesus, came down here to save me because um, I really needed saved. I, I don't know about y'all, but I really needed saved. And um, it was that week, I, I mean, I spent the week of Christmas pretty much curled up in prayer and it was that week that I accepted Christ into my heart. I understood finally what it felt like um, that God wanted to be, he wanted to know what we felt like, and he came down here, he came down here as Jesus, and, and he gave himself for us, um, and that was, um, that was a great day, it was a great day, and I remember telling my wife, and, and um, just seeing the look on her face, and um, I think um, shock would be an understatement, um, this wasn't supposed to happen to me, um, at any rate, um, I'll fast forward again, um, I was experiencing uh, a lot of feelings of dis-ease, um, I was not comfortable. I'd been praying for about eight months, and this is about last February, two Februarys ago, I guess. Whatever. Um, I was. I, I didn't know it was what I was, what God wanted for me, but I knew He wanted something. And literally one day I woke up and I realized God gave me this ability to play this thing, and and that's all I got. And so I need to go use that. And so I called LifePoint, um, called the church office, and. Got Joel on the phone, and I said, hey, uh, I'm sure you got like five or six guitar players here um, at the church. Um, just put me in line. If you need me, let me know. I'd be glad to help in any way. I'll sweep the floors if I have to. And, and Joel goes, um, well, we only have one other guitar player. Can you be at rehearsal next week? 
Um, and so a lot of you guys know the rest. Um, um, one thing uh, is that, again, in, in this February, God started speaking to me again, and, and, and I was completely uncomfortable. I didn't know why. This time it only took a week. It didn't take eight months. Um, and I realized um, this was before they started running the, um, the baptism service videos, and uh, it occurred to me um, that's what he wanted me to do. So I called Joel up on the phone, and uh, that was, ama- I was amazing that I could even get the words out. I asked Joel if he would please baptize me. And, um, you know, I, I want to conclude this um, almost on time by saying, um, you know, one of the, I have today, I have after, I'm going to be married 20 years in October. Um, my wife is here today. This is the first time she's heard my story. It's a very short version of it, but... Um, I'm going to be married 20 years um, in October. We have two beautiful, happy, perfect children, um, and our lives are not perfect by any stretch. We struggle mightily, but we um, we make progress um, as God allows us. And um, the second thing I wanted to, um, to, to offer to you is uh, if you have the same illness as I do, there's, um, there is hope, and there's a lot of help out there. And, um, you know, the, the, I like to say that one of the greatest, best things that ever happened to me was my marriage and the birth of my children, but also the fact that um, I'm an alcoholic. And, um, you know, it's because of my disease that I have been led back to a loving relationship with my creator. Thanks for listening. Powerful. Even hearing it the second time was powerful. you know, if you're asked to come up and do this, obviously you've got uh, a challenging story. And so I don't, I don't necessarily wish the experience on any of you, but the, the byproduct of the experience and the deepening of our relationship with God is, is worth any kind of challenge that I've gone through. And I'm going to start off my story by telling a story. There was a king a wise king who had a wise man that would hang out with him all the time. It was his right-hand man. And the right-hand man had this saying. He used to say, all things happen for the good. No matter what happened, he would always say, all things happen for the good. And so the king took the wise partner out hunting on a regular basis. And on this particular hunting trip they went out, the king was getting ready to draw back his bow, and he made some sort of error, and he shot himself through the foot. Um, in terrible pain, he turns to the wise man. The wise man just says, all things happen for the good. Well, the king was furious with him that he had that response to that situation. So he brought him back into the village, and he threw him in prison, kind of looking to him for some sort of response, similar response. He said, all things happen for the good. So the king went off and decided to forget about the wise man and uh, went about his life. And shortly thereafter... After he had recovered, he's out hunting again. And this time when he's hunting, he gets captured by a group of cannibals, a cannibalistic tribe. And that group of cannibals takes him back to their village, and they're preparing him to be their feast. And as they get him ready, they notice the wound on his foot. And because he had the wound on his foot, they decided that they could not eat him, that he wasn't perfect. So they threw him back into the woods. And immediately when that happened, he remembered the wise man, and he ran back to his village, and uh, he let him out of the prison. 
And uh, of course, the wise man, his response was, all things happen for the good. And in that situation, had the wise man been with him, he would have been the one eaten. So each part of that circumstance actually turned out for their benefit. And as you listen to my story, you hear Dennis's story, or whatever your story is, sometimes it's hard to, to have perspective when you're in the midst of it. But I just encourage you to keep in mind that all things happen for the good, even if it doesn't look like it in the midst of your circumstances. So um, my story is, is um, I could go back a, a long ways, but I'm going back to 05. I don't know if any of you remember where you were August 26th of 2005. I know exactly where I was, what I was doing most of that day. In particular, the day uh, around noon, I was having lunch with two of my very good friends, and we were talking about the next day. My wife and I had just bought a jet ski, and we had just purchased a boat right before that, and we were planning on going to one of the guy's houses um, on the coast and celebrate the next day. And within 24 hours, I was uh, packing my family into a vehicle, evacuating for Hurricane Katrina. Um, I'm from New Orleans. I moved here in November of 2007. And it was, it was a surreal experience in many different ways. But uh, for us, um, I, had, I had started a business about 10 months before the storm hit. And before I started the business, I had sought counsel I had been walking with God. I wasn't um, in a bad place with the Lord. I was really um, following after him. And I reached out and, and talked to the network of guys that were around me that I trusted and prayed with them and got their input and really felt like this was the right thing uh, for me to do. So I invested all, all the cash that I had and part of the equity in my home to open uh, a real estate brokerage. I bought a franchise. And everything was going really well up until August of 2005. In fact, that month, we were leading into that last week of the month. We had about 30 properties that were under contract, ready to close. Uh, it was going to be our first profitable month. I was, uh, I'd been called that week by one of the local magazines who were going to do a story on me. Uh, with, they focused on top 40 under 40 in the, in the community. And so they were highlighting uh, my business as a result of that. And so I was feeling pretty good. Um, not really, uh, definitely not expecting what was about to happen. And so um, that next morning, that Saturday morning, we, we packed our, my wife, my three kids, our dog, our cat into a minivan. And those of you who have grown up in hurricane areas, you, you kind of know the drill. You, you, you pack, you go for a couple of days, and you come back, right? So I packed a couple of pairs of shorts, maybe three t-shirts. My family did the same thing. And we went to Beaumont, where we had a hotel for a couple of days. And we expected to let the storm pass through and come back. And over the period of the next three days, uh, what we watched unfold, it, unfold was, <laughs> it was, it was mind-blowing. Um, you know, we saw the storm go in and that there wasn't major damage. And that next evening, Tuesday evening, around 8 o'clock, the levees breached. And at that point, I knew that I was buried. I mean, of the 30 properties that we had under contract at that point, 29 of them were completely destroyed. And in addition to that, we, we didn't know the status of our home because we were seeing footage on the news. And you could see uh, a, a place that was less than a mile from our house that had five feet of water. 
And so we were pretty sure that our home had taken water. Uh, we knew that my, uh, my parents were with us and my sister and her husband, and they, their homes were um, destroyed by the storm. And so it was, it was a, a, you talk about a moment of clarity. Uh, it wasn't that for me. It was a moment of, of cloudiness uh, and confusion. I had no idea what the future would hold. And so all I kept thinking about was, God, there's no way. There's no way, God, you had me extend myself to this degree in order for this to happen. It just can't, can't be possible. And so we ended up in that area where, where we lived. There wasn't, uh, there wasn't a real estate transaction that happened for five months. The actual courthouse where the transactions are recorded was shut down. So I didn't make a penny, not one cent for five months. We, had to, we couldn't get back to our house which actually was not damaged. We had no damage to our home, um, but we couldn't get back there because it was surrounded by an area that had no damage. So, so there was no power, there was no gas, there was no garbage collection. It was an absolute mess. And so we couldn't bring our family and our kids back there. So we had to rent an apartment uh, in addition to maintaining our household expenses. Um, I couldn't get back to my office, but I still had to continue paying those expenses and I had to get a second office. And so uh, things just compounded I mean, it, it continued to get worse and worse. And um, again, if you can think of the story of Job, those of you who know that story, I, I, obviously I didn't have the same kind of circumstances. I didn't lose family members, but uh, I was living the Job experience from the Job perspective and uh, watching, uh, watching everything disappear slowly. Um, in October of 06, I had decided after desperately trying to keep everything together that it was time to give up. And I went to meet with the franchise group that I had bought the franchise from to let them know I was going to be shutting the office. And I, I, I went to the national convention for the company. The only reason I even went to the convention is because I, I was, they were going to bill me for it anyway. I didn't really have the money to go. But I went. And I, I felt like it was the right thing to do to tell them face to face that I was going to be shutting down. So there I ran into a, a friend that I had met at some other functions. and. He owned five offices up in Washington, D.C., and uh, he, I told him the story, and he said, well, do you want a partner? And I said, well, I hadn't considered it, but I'm, I, I'm done if I don't have a partner. So I took him up on the offer, and he partnered with me in November of 06. Things were good for about four months. He didn't buy in, but he paid all the back debt of the business, none of my personal, but the business. And... In February of 06, the sub, uh, no, 07, I'm sorry, the subprime market crashed, and it devastated his business, and he lost all five of his offices. And so it was kind of a double whammy for us. I didn't really, um, at that point, um, it, it took, it started in February. He didn't go under till August, and that's when he came to tell me that he was going under. And I knew I had started getting some calls because I had personally guaranteed everything in my office before uh, when I first opened. So I was getting calls. I knew something was going on. So at that point in August, I went home and told my wife the situation, and she uh, was in tears. And she said, how much longer are we going to do this? And I said, we're not going to do it any longer. Uh, and at that point, we, um, we made the really difficult decision to walk away. And I said this earlier, I've even heard testimonies of people, I'm sure you guys have before, of financial situations where God has come through and, you know, I felt like I followed him, I trusted him, I knew he was going to come through for me. And um, yet, in my situation, it, it just didn't happen that way. 
we, we still had about $100,000 of equity in our house, so I felt, well, there, here's our safety net. So I listed my house, and by the time all was said and done, I had it listed for $120,000 less than what I owed on it, so a couple of hundred thousand less than it had appraised, and I wasn't even getting phone calls. Nobody, nothing. And uh, so we, we uh, packed, uh, shortening the story, I got a job opportunity here in Raleigh. I didn't know a soul in Raleigh at the time, had never been here, didn't, didn't know anyone, but through our church connection in New Orleans, we were able to connect with LifePoint. And, um, you know, as I, I've questioned this whole situation many times over. I mean, I, I went from having money in the bank, having uh, a business that was on its way to being successful and uh, to, to n literally nothing, losing everything. And I, I never understood, like, why is this happening? Like, God, why am I going through this process? You don't need to do this to me. I'll listen much sooner in the equation if you're trying to tell me something. And, uh, but it just, it just never turned. And uh, we had to file bankruptcy. And, uh, but God brought us here. And through that period of the couple of years where we really were struggling, our marriage took a big hit. I mean, we, my wife and I were barely communicating. Um, you know, it, it was stressful on our kids. There was just, you know, th things had, had really unraveled. And so when we moved here, I, I had very low expectations. And yet over the period of time, once we got here, God began to restore my relationship with my wife first. And it, uh, it just dramatically improved. And, you know, we walked together every day on the Greenway, which there was no Greenway in New Orleans. It's the crime way. Um, but in, uh, in, in Raleigh, we've been able to walk together every day and talk. And um, I, I remember her saying not, not too long ago, I can't believe we live here. I can't believe how beautiful it is. And um, just talking, you know, the relationship we have with our kids now and our family, God has completely changed the dynamic of my life. And it took, it took I'm not saying God caused me to lose everything, but it took me losing everything to understand what was important and what was valuable. And I had a lot of trust in my own abilities and in my own strength and my own wisdom. And now I understand just how frail that is. Um, just like I said, never expected to be there. And didn't, still don't, like I, I still don't fully understand what his purpose is in all of this, but I know that he's got us here and he's restored our family and he's given us some really, really strong and powerful relationships here. And I'm confident that all things work together for good. So whatever your circumstances are, just remember that. I mean, whatever you're going through, all things work together for good. Praise our God, for he is good. our God, for He is good. Praise our God, for He is good. Praise our God, for He is good. He has done for me. He has done for you. Is done for us. I want to close this morning with a 
quote from a guy named Frederick Buechner. Uh, if you're looking for a great old book to get and read, I encourage you to look up his book, Telling the Truth. And the subtitle of the book is The Gospel as Tragedy, Comedy, and Fairy Tale. And um, this is, uh, I think it sums up our morning well. So the whole point of the fairy tale of the gospel is, of course, that he is the king in spite of everything. The frog turns out to be the prince, the ugly duckling, the swan, the little gray man who asked for bread, the great magician with the power of life and death in his hands. And though the steadfast tin soldier falls into the flames, his love turns out to be fireproof. There is no less danger and darkness in the gospel than there is in the brothers grim. But beyond and above all, there is the joy of it, this tale of a light breaking into the world that not even the darkness can overcome. That is the gospel. This meeting of darkness and light and the final victory of light, that is the fairy tale of the gospel. With, of course, the one crucial difference from all other fairy tales, which is that the claim made for it is that it is true and that it not only happened once upon a time, but has kept on happening ever since and is happening still. Isn't it amazing how God weaves our stories into the fabric of the story? How our lives are a retelling of his love and his grace and the wonderful truth of Jesus Christ. Many of you sitting in this room could add your own chapter to the story today. Sharing like Dennis and Vince have about how you have found faith in Jesus. And how God has shown himself repeatedly to be real in your life regardless of your circumstances. Let me encourage you not to wait until we have a Storyteller Sunday to share it. Let me encourage you to tell it now. Share it with your family. Share it with your friends. Share it with your neighbor or coworker who is searching because your story may provide a moment of clarity for someone else. And I know in this room there are people today who are still wondering if this fairy tale could possibly be true. You have questions about Jesus and you have circumstances in your life that are so painful that right now you can't even imagine taking a step of faith. But you want to. You really do. And let me encourage you to talk with someone about that. You can talk with a friend that you came with today. Talk with your spouse. Talk with someone outside of theater too. Visit with, with Dennis or Vince. Or you can even talk with me. Because your story is not over. God has many more chapters to write. Let me encourage you to give the pen to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, um, for the story of the gospel, the story of a God whose love is unconditional and it's relentless, a love that pursues us even when we're unworthy, even when we hurt you deeply, you still come looking for us because we are lost without you. Thank you that um, the story of Jesus provides us with hope, with forgiveness, with a brand new start that's ours for the taking. Thank you how you weave our stories into your overall story and how sometimes you use people like us to draw other people to you. Thank you for how you've been at work Dennis's life and in, in Vince's life and the lives of so many people in this room. And I, I just pray that these stories will get a hearing and that people will listen and that they will find Christ. And it's in his name we pray.
I want to thank you all so much for coming today. I want to remind you that um, communion is provided for you in theater too. And uh, you are dismissed. <laughs>